So, um, yeah, I like to live my life on the edge. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in the air or what, but I, all of a sudden this morning I had like a runny nose. It was weird. Um, yeah, I don't like them. Uh, but so my sophomore year of college, we I was playing for the the team, and we had to raise everything. We were a little more, I don't know if you've ever known college sports, but most people know like NCAA Division One and Two. All right, those are the big ones. Those are the ones that are popular, those ones you see on TV all the time. Then there are NCAA um, uh, Division Three. And then there's another one called NAIA, okay? NAIA is basically all the private schools that are small, right? And it's equivalent to the NCAA um, Division Three. okay? So those are basically the same thing except, you know, just small schools. So our school was NCAA Division Three and NAIA Division One, right? So we're at this point, but the baseball team was a little more than a club team. Okay, a club team is basically just a bunch of people get together and play a sport. We were in the collegiate um, divisions, and we played teams. We would play teams up to Division Two, um, but we had to pay for everything. I mean, we had to fundraise for everything. The school gave us almost nothing as far as funds. Um, and so we were invited in my sophomore year to go play at a new tournament that was going on in Oklahoma. Now, in Oklahoma, um, they were doing this thing in Tulsa where they were inviting all these different colleges from all the different across the nation, all these Christian colleges, and saying, hey, why don't you come out? Um, we're going to put on this tournament. And what we want to do is we want it to turn into kind of like a World Series uh, for Christian colleges, okay? So we raised all of our money, and we flew out there. In fact, uh, one of our uh, pitchers, he was from Arizona, from Phoenix, and we had to fly in, and we stopped here just to pick him up. And I remember as we're flying around going, what, you know, all I see is concrete and dirt. Like, that's <laughs> it. And I'm thinking, who in the world would want to live in a place like Arizona? Yeah. <laughs> That was the first time I've ever seen it. And it was like, oh, yeah, Han Jeremiah, yeah, you're going to live there your life. Anyways, so um, we picked him up, and we went to Tulsa, and we got to see the, um, uh, the federal building that was bombed there. Uh, it was an interesting um, little experience. And then we had our game. We um, uh, did a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, we played this game called Fireball. And you might think it's something with alcohol, but no, we're good Christian boys. Um, we would unwrap a baseball, put some kerosene on it, uh, light it on fire, and then play hot potato. Um, and so you lose a lot of hair during that time. Um, but so we would, you know, we were being dumb, and um, and no fires were started uh, that time. And um, so we played our first game, won. And we we had a pretty good team, um, so played our first game, we won, um, and then we decided, because we had an early game, uh, to go see another team, another game that was playing, and the winner of that we were going to play the next day. So we go, and we sit down, and we're watching this team, and it is horrific. Like, uh, good teams playing, but one of the teams was just, if you ever think, okay, what is a Christian standard? This was not that team, Okay. Um, I have actually never seen a team play this way in all the years I've played, in all the many baseball games I've seen at all different levels. Um, there was so much cussing going on um, from this team at the other team. Now, I understand. Like, I'm, yeah, you have to understand my background. I am not, I'm not the most cool-headed person uh, when it comes to playing sports. I've had my share of fights on the field. Um, with both coaches and opposing teams and with my own teammates. Um, so I understand, like, the intensity that goes on. And it was almost everyone on this team was yelling at the umpires, yelling at the other team, yelling at people in the stands. Um, there was fights on the field, multiple fights. 
between their own team and the other team. In fact, uh, several of them got ejected by the umpire uh, because they wanted to fight the umpire. Um, it was a horrible, I mean, I've never seen a team played this way. And afterwards, um, the t our team got together, and they won. Okay, that team won. I don't know how, but they won. And our team got together, and we said, you know, we're here because this is supposed to become kind of like the World Series for Christian colleges. But what kind of example are we setting for, the, for these umpires? A lot of these umpires weren't Christians. We talked to several of them, and they're like, oh, what are you guys? They didn't even know, really. They were just hired to be a part of this group, you know, to run this tournament. They didn't even know. Um, and so our witness for Christ was really being diminished by this. And so we got together as a group, and we said, we're going to protest this game. And we're going to say, we're not going to play this team because this is so unlike Christ. Like, it, it's not, it wasn't just, you know, some bad stuff because, again, I understand it. In fact, one of the coaches on that team, me and him, almost got in a fist fight because we were playing a, um, we were doing batting practice. And he was throwing him outside the strike zone and telling me to try to hit him. And I said, no. And we got into, like, a verbal thing. Um, and so I understand being heated and, you know, but this was far beyond anything. And so, as a team, we decided we're not, we're, we're not going to play. And I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of gruff for that. The reason why is because in the tournament, there's only two teams that were, were expected to win the tournament, that could win the tournament, us and that one team. And so when we decided to protest that team, the other teams said, you're giving them a win, now they're sure going to win. And so, and that also kicked us out of the tournament. The single, uh, single elimination tournament. And so we, we had, all these other teams had been sent there by their schools. We had spent the money. We raised it to send ourselves. And we said, we're not going to do it. After we came back, we found out later, the whole coaching staff got fired from that team. About half the team was suspended or expelled from the school. Their whole program basically shut down because of it. And we finally we got letters from the, uh, the organizers of the group, of the tournament, that they were appreciative that we stood our ground. I don't know if that tournament ever went anywhere because the next year they didn't have it. But we decided, and one of our teammates actually left afterwards because he didn't like that we were what we were doing, that we weren't playing. And so it was an interesting experience. And looking back on it, um, I think it's one of the most life-changing in my life as far as when it comes to sports because at that point, I was always win. We should always win. But when I watched the leaders of our, the captains of our team put this forth, guys, that this was their last opportunity to play sports, to play baseball in any type of way, say, no, we're going to, we want to do this. I, I realized that there's things that are more important than just the win. And that changed. So when I started coaching, Winning never, winning was always last for me, even though I always loved winning. Don't get me wrong. In fact, just a, a little, uh, a little brag. I only lost as a coach two games in two years. So, I I love winning. Okay. So, but it's this idea that there are times in our lives where we have to make stands and no matter how unpopular they are, we have to make a stand, okay, and stick to that. And so in our, as we open up to Matthew chapter 24 today, we're going to look at Jesus' words of being, uh, we're calling it a resolute um, disciple, someone that stands fast.
in what God has said. So we're going to be in Matthew 24. We're going to be looking at 1, verses 1 through 35. Um, as we open up there, let's talk about what we've talked about the last few weeks. In five weeks, in the first four weeks of that, we've been talking about this. So you're going to see this several times. We talked about Jesus' disciples are to be satisfied, seeking God's will, acting in faith, and not confining God. All that means is that we are to be satisfied with whatever God gives us, saying, okay, this is what he gives me. I'm going to be okay with it. Um, we need to be seeking God's will. So whatever he says, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to do what he says. Um, we're going to act on it. We're not just going to hear it, but we're going to do it. And we're not going to confine God. We're not going to pick and choose what God can do. He gets to do whatever, and we're just following that. And through all of that, that's the seeking God's will, to be satisfied and acting in faith. Okay, so that's the first four weeks of this last section that we talked about. Then last week, we talked kind of about this idea of, so all that first part is living in the authority of Jesus. Okay, Jesus' authority over our lives, that's what it looks like. In this last week that we talked about last week, is we looked at what happens when we go outside of Jesus' authority, and that was the seven woes. And really, all about that is when we go outside of Jesus' authority, we're looking for our own authority. We're looking to follow ourselves. And because of that, woes happen. This morning we were talking with the teenagers, and we are talking about boundaries. Okay? And I told a quick story about one time I was, um, I was a junior in high school, and I was playing, at the, I was playing softball, and I hit the ball, and I ran. And I always overrun, you know, you always overrun first, right? Unless, uh, unless you were going to turn to second. But I was running out of ball, and I was running, and uh, normally, I don't, like, it's hard for me to stop, okay? So I'm just running, and usually I run into a fence, because there's a fence. Well, this time I didn't. I stopped, and as I'm running, this is the out-of-bounds line. There's a foul line, but then there's the out-of-bounds. And I crossed the out-of-bounds line. Uh, if you don't know what that means, is I mean... I'm out. Okay? So I got out. That's what it means to not follow Jesus' authority. We're, we get out. Okay? So we don't, so bad things happen. And that's the woes that Jesus talked about. They're bad things. And so we talked about that. So living in Jesus' authority was the first part. But living outside of it, we're always going to find woes. Okay? So that's what we talked about in the last five weeks. So now... Let's talk about what we're going to talk about this week. Um, we're going to talk about end times stuff, okay? What we're not going to do is give a, a whole theology of all the end times stuff, okay? In these summer series, we're only focusing on what is being said in the book that we're talking about and how does that relate to everything that we've been talking about in that book, okay? So if, if there's a part of theology that we don't cover today that's end times, you go, well, that's... It's because we're only focusing on what is being said, okay? So, we're going to read verses 1 through 35, and then from there, uh, we'll start talking about everything else, okay? So, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 35, and we'll start right now. Here we go. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on one another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age, and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to, the per, to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not, be, will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will, be, will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the, son of the, the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass until all these things have, have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay, so you have this, this moment um, where Jesus is being asked by his disciples where they're walking around, excuse me, and they are looking at the temple. Now, we've got to remember their mindset, right? Their mindset is the triumphal entry. Jesus came in with all the power, with all the pomp and circumstance of a, of a king. And he comes in, and they're thinking overthrow, right? Israel's going to become a nation. Everything's good. And so after he does all this other stuff, he's, he whips people in the temple. He runs them out. He, he answers correctly or good all the, the different questions of all these different groups and silences all these different groups. And he does all these great things. And then the disciples are, look up at the temple and they say, man, look at this great thing. But if you remember last week, we talked about that Jesus ended all his talk with the idea that it's all going to be desolate. And that desolate language we talked about is judgment language. That because the Pharisees had taken the authority that was not given to them by God, because they did all these things, that was all the woes, that God was going to bring destruction on Israel just like he did in the Old Testament. And so when they say, well, look at this temple, look how beautiful it is. And it was a beautiful temple. It wasn't as beautiful as the first temple that was destroyed, but it's still a good-looking temple. Jesus says, it's going to be destroyed. And so think about how aback would you be taken. You're thinking, okay, Jesus came in to save everything, to make Israel a great nation, but the very symbol of our nation was just destroyed. I mean, think about our nation. What would be a symbol of our nation if destroyed would really send ramifications through our lives? White House. Statue of Liberty. Right? The Twin Towers. All right, Mount Rushmore. We have all these symbols of our... And that's why in all the... Uh, all, like, um, Independence Day, all the big blockbusters, they always destroy the symbols, Right? Because that, it's not just, oh, it's a symbol, but it's a, it's, we're connected to it, right? Our pride, our, um, when, I don't know if you see a flag that's burned and you go, like, there's something that hurts, right? Because that's, that's a pride symbol, right? Of, this is a part of who we are. 
And so these ideas, so they're saying, look at this big thing. It's so nice. And he says, well, it's going to be destroyed. They got to be taken back like, what, what, what? And so they come, it says they come to him privately. And they ask him, so when's all this going to happen? When's the end going to happen? And what's, what's interesting, he, lays it, he starts laying it out. Now, he's not, he doesn't lay out a complete theology. He doesn't do a, what we call systematic theology. He just lays out some things. And there's three sub-ideas here, uh, three parts to this. And we, can, we get this because of, of a couple things. And they're verses 4. Here we go. Um, verses 4, 25, and 32. These together, they're not going to be up there, but just this helps us kind of get this idea of what Jesus is trying to talk about. He uses, so the whole section is actually chapter 24 through chapter 25. That's the whole thing that he's talking about. We're only going to look at one section of that today. And these are all together because of cha- uh, verses 4, 25, um, and 32. And the reason why is because in all of these, Jesus says these, this, types, this type of language. See that no one leads you astray. See I have told you, from, uh, bo- told you beforehand. And from the uh, fig tree, learn this lesson. So he gives all these different things of listen, pay attention, learn. Okay? And so all this collects together, and we have three parts going on here. And so there's, Jesus gives us three parts to his return. Okay? But the whole purpose here is that we are not led astray. Okay? So from chapter 24 through chapter 25, the purpose behind why Jesus is telling them all this is so that as disciples, we are not led astray. That's why he emphasizes over and over again. Listen, pay attention, learn, okay? So now let's talk about these three things. The first one are those events that will precede the tribulation, okay? So there's three parts. There's the events before the tribulation. That's the first part. There's the parts during, there's events during the tribulation, and there's what happens afterwards, Okay, so it's sectioned off to three. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. Okay, so we, we can, you need to go through the whole of Scripture to get an exhaustive list, okay, of things that are going to happen. But this is what Jesus wants us to, to focus on here. This is what the Holy Spirit has decided that we need to know in the gospel. Because what's the purpose so far, right, of this section? Anyone remember? It starts with, it's one word, starts with an A. I'm going to be better than teenagers. It's authority, right? Jesus' authority. This is the point of the section. We talked about what does it mean to live under Jesus' authority, right? To be satisfied, to seek his will, to act upon it and not confine him. To live outside of his authority means to have woes in our lives. Okay? Do we? Okay? So now, what is all this? One, it's to show his authority, but also so that we don't go to another authority. Okay? So he gives us these things. There are going to be false Christs. Right? I did a study, this was several years ago, and I just did it from the 1800s of people claiming to be Jesus. Okay? And people claiming to be Jesus, about every 11 years, someone pops up and says, I'm Jesus. Okay, in some way. I'm a reincarnation, I'm his essence, some sort of thing. Um, if you ever heard of, um, most of you probably have, uh, the Heaven's Gate cult. They're the ones back um, in the 90s. They all wore black with the uh, sneakers, uh, with the Nike sneakers. They took their own lives in uh, Southern California because they were needed to expel the, the physical body so they could go onto a spaceship. That leader believed himself to be an incarnation of Christ. Okay? In the modern day, there's, there's tons of them. There's tons of people claiming to be the reincarnation of Christ all over the world. One of the big ones right now, I think he actually just got arrested, but he's um, over in Russia. He's created a whole group 
that believe that he is the reincarnation of Christ. But this is all over the world. Okay, back in the 80s, there was the moons. Okay, um, what? No, Muhammad didn't believe he was reincarnation. He's the last prophet. No, no, they, no. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, no, we're talking about people that are specifically saying, I am Christ. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, it's ballooned since the 1800s. Okay. Um, then we have wars, rumors of wars. Okay, that's been going on, right? Um, we can even see that today, right? Um, what's interesting about this, um, in the same study I did with the Christ, because uh, I did a sermon on this years ago, um, starting in AD 1, okay, um, there's a book, uh, it's, it's a two-volume book, uh, so it's two books, actually, um, and it's The History of Modern Wars, okay, and all, it, all they do is they just collect the numbers of how many wars there have been um, and how many and why those wars happened. Okay? What's interesting about that um, study is that what they found was major wars, okay, wars that went beyond just like between small groups. Okay? So a small war what might be us and Canada. Okay? They're looking at major wars which are over like multiple countries all coming together. And what they found was um, every 80 years you have a major war. Okay. That's up to the, ninth, to the 19th century. Starting in the 20th century it was one major war every, ele uh, every eight years. Okay, so it went from one in every 80s, one every century, to one every decade. But in 2000, uh, starting in 2000, we've, the world has been in a major war every single year. Okay. And so we're, we're living in a time where all we know is war. Every single child born after um, 2001 has only known the world in war. And so you have these, and even today, right, we have the UK, Ukraine war, which is between two nations, but it's affecting everything, right? Grain supplies, they're, because of what's going on in Ukraine, they're, they're predicting famines in Africa, okay? And we have rumors of wars, the whole Taiwan, Taiwanese situation, right? Um... So you have all this going on, and he says, this is going to happen. Then earthquakes. There's an increase in earthquakes. That might be due to increase of earthquakes or our ability to find them better. Who knows? But increase in earthquakes. What's interesting, he also talks about there are going to be betrayals within the church. That we're going to give each other over to, to the persecutions that are going to happen. Okay? Um, love growing cold because of wickedness. And we can see that, right? You know, the, the whole Andy Griffith thing where you're walking down and you smile at your neighbor, you know everyone, that's way gone. Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone that's, you know, usually I, I've been in San Francisco, L.A., I've been downtown at the major cities, and you, you look at someone, they will not look at you. Okay? You smile at someone and you're the weirdo. Okay? But it's happening in small towns. It used, when I first moved to town, I could wave at anyone, and they would wave back. Since then, I wave at people, and I get sneers. It's, our world has completely changed in the last 20 years. It's a completely different world. In the last five years, we've seen, with I mean, since 2010, that's when social media was, but in the last five years, I mean, it's been horrific. Are, are the how love has grown cold. Um, and it's going to get worse. And he says, but what's interesting is what he says at the end. He says, and this gospel will be a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And he says, all of these things, 
So everything before that is all birth pains. So just because they happen doesn't mean the end's going to come. What has to precipitate the, the beginning of the end? The gospel has to get out. This is why it's so important for us as individuals and us as a community to share the gospel. That Jesus dies for us because of our own sin to give us a way back to God. And that anyone who trusts in him has that, that salvation. and gets to live with God in eternity. Okay, that has to be everywhere. What's interesting is there's different metrics that people put on this. And about, uh, we were in Kentucky uh, at a conference. Uh, that was like 2008, 2009, Carol? Something like that? Yeah. Um, Jeff and Carol were there. And so they had this guy that came up and he said, if we, if we take that and we say, okay, it's language groups, because the word people there is very general. Okay. If we say... It's language groups. He says there are about 18,000 language groups in the world, and we've only reached 9,000 with the gospel. So about half. But technology is moving so fast that um, we had a, a gentleman from Whitecliffe that used to come and um, uh, tell us about some of the new things, new technologies that were coming into Bible translation. And they were working on a Bible translation, a, trans, a computer program, where someone could speak into it, and it would actually create the language for languages that did not have a written word. And they were trying to get this thing worked out. And so that would be huge, right? Because Bible translation takes decades to get a language right. Because there's nuances to, you know, you're taking from Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and you're putting it into all sorts of other languages. And so you have to find all the nuances there. But to have someone just be able to speak it and the computer translates it into a written word that now can be shared, that's amazing. And so we're not there yet, but we're getting close. But what's interesting is he, this is the, the catalyst to the end, he says. Then the end will come. So the gospel is front and center in, in what Jesus is trying for his disciples to understand. All these other things, they're going to be happening all over. But what's so important? It's the gospel getting out. People hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel. Okay, so that's all. The, that's the events that Jesus gives us before the tribulation. Okay, this great um, moment in history. Okay, so then we get into the events during the tribulation. Now, the tribulation is this huge and it's this horrible event. And I've been told by people, I've had arguments with people, where they believe that all of this, what Jesus is talking about, already happened. And I got to tell you. I love history, study, especially early church history, a lot. There's never been a tribulation, a time of such peril for the church that is described in the Bible. We're not, we've never experienced it. There's been close. The Diocletian, uh, the one I always harp on from the 300s, that was really bad. That was nowhere near the level that the Bible speaks of that's to come. And so, it, this stuff hasn't happened yet. But then Jesus points back to Daniel, chapters 9, 11, and 12, when he talks about this thing. He says, okay, so the gospel is a testimony to all nations and all the world. Okay, Then the end will come. At that point, then we can start looking for the end. So until that happens, until the gospel's a witness to all nations, what are we supposed to be doing? Spreading the gospel. So all this stuff now, I will say don't worry in the sense of until the gospel's out there, this stuff's not going to come. So if you want Jesus to come back faster, the share the gospel. Okay? I mean, 
there is no God uses his people and other means, but he uses his people as a primary factor in getting the gospel out to people. So if you want Jesus to come back, you have one job. Share the gospel. Okay? Now, with that as understood, he talks about the abomination that causes desolation. This is this is from Daniel chapter nine, Daniel chapter eleven, Daniel chapter twelve. Okay? And this abomination that causes desolation, there's, I'll just give you a little bit of what's going on here. Um, we have a new temple that gets built, okay? Because in Daniel 9, it talks about a new sanctuary, okay? In that, the abomination that causes desolation will go in there and proclaim himself God, okay? And now we have a, a new deity to worship, a human deity to worship. Okay, it, so he goes into this new temple, a temple not built by God, but by humanity, because it's, hum, again, humanity trying to grasp God, because what's the true temple now? The, the church, the people of God, right? And so this is man trying to grasp God. This abomination comes in and proclaims himself God, and that's the desolation. Okay? There's, there's more to it, but that gives us a basic understanding. So he says, look for that. Okay? So that's another thing. So gospel being presented. It's not the wars. It's not the, the persecution of the church. It's none of that stuff. It's the gospel and the abomination. These are the big signs. So you have that. And from that, you'll have more false Christs. More false prophets coming about. And it says, and they'll be going around even to deceive the elect, even to deceive the people of God. I mean, think of how powerful that's going to be at that time. That it could even happen to, I mean, he's warning the church, be on your guard because this is so, going to be so overwhelming for even the believers. And so, that's going to happen. And then we're going to get some astronomical disturbances. I was trying to find a good word to describe what he's in one phrase. The stars will fall. The moon will go um, as blood. The sun will stop shining. This is apocalyptic lit uh, language that's throughout the Old Testament to talk about the day of the Lord is coming. It's not, it's not something where it's like, you know, I, I love all the, um, the drawings and everything, and everything looks bright, and it's so nice, and here comes Jesus in the clouds. But when you start reading the scripture, it's like the sun stops shining, the moon's blood, stars are following. Now, stuff like that starts happening. If you're not woken up, you better be. Because we get, you know, when we get things on the radio or on TV where it says, hey, there's going to be a, um, you know, a asteroid, a, you know, yeah, comet. Everyone's like, ooh, ah, okay. If all of a sudden everything just goes going haywire and, okay, the moon's looking like blood over there, the sun's up, what's going on? It's not just going to be a little thing. And so I put astronomical disturbances because astronomical is a good word. It means both in astronomy and in really big terms. So this is an astronomical event. Okay? And it's going to be bad. And then we get to the, the third part, which is then Jesus returns. Okay? And he comes in clouds. And this is, again, the hearkening back to the book of Daniel. Jesus comes in the clouds. Okay? So he comes in the clouds. Um, all the world will see this. Okay, this isn't just a, some people will see it. So this is why he says, don't believe anyone that says, there's the Christ, go out there. There he is, and there, go there. No, this is, everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know it. It's huge. Okay? And so that's going to happen. All the world will see it. He will gather his people um, to himself. And this is the beginning of the reign of Christ. Okay? 
And so this is what he says. He gives all of this. Here it is. And what's interesting, though, he gives, I love a couple of things that he gives within this. He talks about the vultures and the dead carcass. And I always read that and go, that's kind of a weird, like, symbolism. You know, it's just kind of put in there. But it makes a lot of sense. Because when you see vultures, like, we have vultures here. And so when you see the vultures, you know, okay, there's probably something dead over there. Right? But what's interesting, that he uses this, this terminology, this imagery, because it's a dead thing. Right? That's what this world is. It's a dying thing. So you know that this world's going to be dying. You know when this is all going to happen, when you see these signs. So it's really important to pay attention, right? That's the whole purpose of this, pay attention, okay? But then he also uses the idea of a fig tree. And Jesus uses the fig tree several times. But in this case, he uses the fig tree as a sign. He says, pay attention to the fig tree, and he says, the fig tree, when it has leaves and its branches and all that, you know when summer's coming. And we, do, we know that we have things in our lives, right? When we see the snowbirds leave, summer's on its way, right? When we see snowbirds and winter visitors coming back, we know that winter's on the way, right? So we have our own changing. They say that you know the changing of the seasons in Arizona by the changing of the license plates, right? That they, they right? So... This idea that as humans, we understand when changes happen. So if we can understand that, then we need to understand the return of Christ. And so he gives us this whole idea. This is when. Okay? So pay attention to these things, just like you would the fig tree. And so the, as disciples, we're to be on the lookout. Okay? Doing the gospel work. Not, and the thing is, is when Jesus talks about the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, all those other things, those things he calls just birth pains. Those are not the things that are going to happen. They're, I mean, they're just happening. So we can't allow those things. If we hear a war, we can't go, oh, there's a war. Jesus is coming. No. The gospel being preached as a testimony to all nations. The abomination of desolation. Those are the big events. There are other events. But those are the big things. The gospel, the abomination. Those are the big things. Okay? So we need to be looking for the signs, but not fall into. There's a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of theologians that will say, buy this book, and they'll have a new book that tells you the new signs that are coming out. And they'll say, this is when it's going to happen, because here's all these different signs. Jesus has two signs for us. The gospel and the abomination. Those are the big ones. There's other ones too. But those are the big ones. So, what else do we need? Right? So we can't be falling into these ideas that here's all these other things. That there are three different blood moons in this coming year. And this is what, you know, this is a sign in this particular point. Hey, well, has the gospel been preached? Because you know what that does for us? He gives us an out. Well, if in six months um, Jesus is coming, I don't need to do anything. No. Gospel work. Gospel work all the time. And so we need to be prepared, looking for the signs, and doing what we're called to. Which is gospel work. This is part of discipleship. Sharing God's word. Okay? So, through all this, I think that there's only one challenge that we can take away from this area. First is to pray for no fear. The reason why Jesus gives us this is so that we would not fear. Okay? That we would know. So we don't need to listen to false claims. God, keep the false claims out of my mind, out of my life. These people that are coming and they're charlatans. Um, what was it, 2011? Uh, Harold, I think his name was Harold Camping, um, was spreading, you know, Jesus is coming at this date and bought billboards across the nation. And then it didn't happen. And he bought billboards on a different day. And it didn't happen. 
And, but there was tons of people so afraid that they were just out of their minds. And it didn't come to pass. And so many people put their trust into him rather than the scriptures. Rather than, uh, my job, it doesn't matter. If all of a sudden the church goes into a state of persecution, which, let's be real, the Western church has had it really easy. If you start looking around the world, the rest of the world's church, there are some of them that believe that they're in the Great Tribulation now. Okay, because of the deep persecution that's going on. Last Sunday, um, a bomb went off, at a, I mentioned in passing, in a church in Egypt. That's a normal occurrence for our brothers and sisters across the world. And so we need to say, you know what? Bring on the per persecution. Because that means that we're a little closer. And when we share the gospel, that means persecution comes. And we should say, bring it. You know, we, we say things like, yes, Lord Jesus, come. Are we ready for what comes with it? The persecution, the bad times, the earthquakes, all that stuff? So when we say it, yeah, let's say it, but we need to not fear. We need not follow false claims. Okay? And then um, we have, in the, in the men's restroom, we have a little, a little um, uh, wall art. And it says, do not pray for easier lives. Pray to be stronger men. I think as believers, we should have that same mentality. Don't pray for easier walks with Jesus. Pray to be stronger disciples. So I want to challenge you this week in your prayer to go before God and say, God, make me a stronger disciple. Now that's a dangerous prayer. Okay? Yeah. Because God, you know, there are certain prayers that God always answers. And that's one of them. But I would challenge you, Lord, make me a stronger believer. So that when this stuff does come, if it comes in my lifetime, I'm ready. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm not following false prophets, false Christ. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Preparing other people to, for your return. Now there's a whole different theology that when, when certain things happen. It really doesn't matter. We have one job. And that's to spread the gospel. One job. And if we're doing that one job, if he comes back tomorrow, if he comes back in 10 years, doesn't matter. I'm doing my job. I'm faithful to what God has called. And I'm ready for his return. And I'm making other people ready. And so, this week I... I As I was going through this, you know, there's so much theology here, so much more than we could cover in three weeks. And what comes after this is Jesus really, really pushing the be prepared. And so as we're getting into this next, I think it's going to be three weeks that we're going to go through all the way to chapter 26, be prepared. Don't let the things that are going on in this world, the stuff going on in our government, the stuff going on in Taiwan or the Ukraine or wherever it is, all that stuff's going to try to grab onto you and say, look at me. Yeah, but Christ is calling, saying, no, 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 no. Look to me. Your strength is found in Christ, not in people. Your strength is found in the Lord Jesus alone. And if you don't know him as your Savior, I want to challenge you this week to read this. Read these things. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Go back through it and meet Jesus through his word. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, it's beyond anything that we could ever hope for or know. Lord, thank you for this, for your word that we wouldn't be, that 
as the world goes into chaos, we don't have to be in chaos because we know the Lord of order. We know the one that holds it in his hand, the, the, who knew all past history, who knows the present, who knows the future. We, we get to know you because of Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us into your presence through the cross. Father, I ask that if, no, if someone in here doesn't know you, that they would seek after you, that the Holy Spirit will reveal yourself to, to them, that they would know the purpose of why you created them, to love you, to love other people, that they would understand the separation from you that is through our own sin, those things we do that are in conflict and rebellion against you. And Lord, that you loved us enough that Jesus, you died for us that you would take the punishment that we are deserving because of sin, but you took it on yourself to let us back into the presence of God, into the place that we were made for. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone that is seeking you, that they would find you, as your word says they would. And, Lord, I ask also that as believers that we would follow you intently, that we would be resolute in our, in our discipleship, that we'd follow you and only you, and when the false Christs, the false prophets come, that we would not give them ear. That we wouldn't hear, even hear them. That we would completely shut them out. Because our hope is only in you, Jesus. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.